Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Wintertime Redfish in Skinny Water, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Tim DeSano of Tideline Charters out of the Ocean Isle area. We're going to be covering such areas as when and where, bait selection, options for if you don't have a quote-unquote skinny water boat, and then structure within structure. And so we've got a lot to talk about. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving that saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest and greatest effort, the Fisherman's Post podcast series. In this series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast, asking them to share with us their insights on how to catch more fish, more how to catch more fish more often, albeit the higher purpose, I believe, is to get you motivated, to get you excited, to get you out, uh, grab your family and friends and get you out on the water spending more time together more often. And in this mission, I am joined with my podcast partner, just as I am every episode, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to yet another episode. What's up, Gary? Looking good, man. Good to be back. Another episode. Excited for Tim DeSano to join us and grace us with all his uh, knowledge in the fishing space. So really excited, man. He's always a great guest. So you guys got me fired up already. He was our first guest. I don't have to tell you that, though. You know that, man. He was our very first guest. And now it took us this long to get him back. That's our fault. But, man, he is a great communicator, willing to share, loves to teach, loves to instruct. And that's whether he's in a podcast or on his boat, man. I mean, that's one of, I think, hallmarks of his charters is on the boat, on the water, he likes to teach. Yeah, man. He's a really good guy and uh, gets us lots of views. So I really appreciate him. (laughs) So. I had, to, I had to throw that one in there. I mean, it's true. People love sure. him. He's he's a yeah. fishing celebrity in the, in the world of fishing in our area. So, uh, Gary, I'm going to stop blabbing. I'm going to talk about our sponsors who make this show possible, and, uh, and then I'm going to pass the mic back to you. So here we go. First sponsor up is R.A. Hitch. So we got Raleigh Apex Hitch. Uh, Hitch's trailers, bike racks, all kinds of stuff for the outdoorsman and outdoors woman. Uh, if you need something for your truck, uh, your bike, go Go to see Chris, go see his team, and they will get you hooked up. So, Gary, those guys are um, rocking and rolling. Did they get you – you get one of those roof racks yet? Man, we are still in the position that not right now as I'm talking to you, but when this podcast airs, there will be a travel rack on top of either mine or my wife's car when this airs. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see a picture, and we'll show it on here on the show. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> social proof you know what i'm saying we can't just talk about it you gotta be about i mean it. i if you don't keep me honest i won't so i mean i'd like i like your thinking oh man so i want to introduce a new sponsor that we have bland landscaping co so if you're watching this you'll see the logo here on the screen um, and they are a landscaping company here in the north carolina area and what i like about these guys gears they reach out to us they're fans of the show they're they're outdoorsmen they're anglers Um, And you might think that they're looking for work, but they're really looking for workers. They're looking for people to come be a part of their team. So it's Bland Landscaping Company, established in 1976, so they've been around for a while. And if you are interested in working outdoors, uh, be sure to go to blandlandscaping.com slash careers. 
and they're pretty cool, man. They got a, a health insurance and life insurance and paid vacation and sick time and all those things. So a really good opportunity for people who are listening, male and female. They, they, they're like, we're looking for anyone who wants to come and be a part of our team that is qualified. And they got all kinds of ongoing training and education and payback and all kinds of stuff, man. So a really cool company. Um, and they reached out to us. And we're like, we love the podcast and we want to, you know, our community is your community. So we want to support you guys as well. So that's a, that's a cool way for them to support us. And I like it, man. I hope we are able to help them. I mean, help them get, put people to work, get people hired. I mean, we are in just this weird post or, or whatever period of COVID we're in, man. So it'd be great to help them out, get people hired. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I don't know about, they're not looking for work. I bet they are looking for work and yeah. workers, but yeah. And they'll probably take the Stoked work. to have them. <laughs> it makes sense, right? Yeah, so go to blandlandscaping.com slash careers, and you'll see uh, they have multiple offices throughout North Carolina. And uh, Kurt, super super nice guy. I talked to the CEO over there for a while, so really appreciate those guys joining us up, man, partnering with us. And then speaking of one of our longest-running partners of the show is Marine Warehouse Center. Uh, always enjoy them. Get a quick word from them, and we'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats, we have parts, we have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have it. At Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. Boom, there you go, man. Marine Warehouse Center. Been with us for a lot of episodes. I don't even know what the count is at this point. Uh, so always supporting the show, supporting the community, man. Really appreciate those guys. Sales, parts, service, man. You know, they got it, man. I'm I'm fans of those guys. And I would say that maybe I'm a little bit too hard on Terrell with his jokes, and maybe you're a little bit too easy on Terrell with those jokes. Eh, just a if you're bit. able to def- if you're able to defend this one, then you're, I think you're easily in the category of too easy on them because I just had to shake my head. I mean, Terrell, I don't know. Poor guy. I think the, ho- I think the holidays are too close or something. All right. Let's, you ready? let's hear it. I'm ready. Terrell's joke, not mine. It's not even a joke. He just said some stupid stuff to me over the phone. We were talking. He's like, hey, man, did you hear? Scientists have just discovered that sharks can also squirt ink. And I said, really? And he said, not just squitting. <laughs> All right. I'm going to give it to him. That's pretty funny. I'm going to tell my, uh, I'm tell my three-year-old. That well, <laughs> all right. Well, there's, that proves my point <laughs> that you're going to share that with a three-year-old. That is hey, exactly Terrell. the point I'm making. I got you, Terrell. I, you know, I don't know what Gary's mentality is here. You're writing us checks, you're sponsoring us, and he's making fun of you. I'm sorry, man. Don't, don't. I'm just <laughs> presenting what he presents to me. Sure. Oh, I'm out of jail. Sure. I'm choked up. <laughs> oh, man. Let me show you a fish picture. Maybe it'll make you a little bit better, Gary. Get off of Terrell's back for a minute. Uh, we got Justin Matthews with a red drum that was caught using a Carolina rig with a two-inch circle hook and frozen mullet. He was fishing the back of Hewlett's Creek. Uh, Good-looking fish, pretty but pretty neat-looking little spot there. I mean, I don't know if he's knee-deep in mud or how he caught that thing, but uh, good for him. It looks fun. <laughs> it does, man. I agree. Like, I'm... 
I like the guys that pull pull in some fish without being in a boat, man. I got a special spot in my heart for the surf fishermen or just the land anglers, pier anglers, man. And he, he appears to be one of them. Yeah, using the old famous Carolina rig. Can't go wrong with that thing, that's for sure. And frozen mullet, man. That's as blue collar as it gets right there. <laughs> Good for that dude. He used a spark plug for a sinker. <laughs> dude, I bet that does work. I'm going to try it. <laughs> That's my takeaway, Gary, right there. Spark plug. I've already given you your Billy's best takeaway. You ain't got lead weight. Just use a spark plug. I don't care what Tim DeSano says. That's it. Spark plug. <laughs> All right, man. I'm going to let you guys talk about fishing before we go a whole different path here. Hey, uh, before I go to Tim, though, one last plug. Tell me about buying a coffee. Oh, yeah. You can buy us a coffee. Go to, uh, fish, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post if you want to support Gary and I as creators and keep us caffeinated, which I think I may add a little too much for this episode. And then also, if you want to be like Marine Warehouse Center and like Bland Landscaping Co. and support the show and sponsor it, feel free to reach out to me, Billy at Fisherman'sPost.com, and we can get the process started. Gary, back to you, man. All right, so now I'm switching over to Captain Tim DeSano of Tideline Charters out of the Ocean Isle area. Tim, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. What's going on, Gary? What's going on, Billy? Thank you all for having me again. I know it's been a while since the first one, but uh, I'm glad to be back doing it. So. It has been a while since the first one, and Billy and I are so much better at this, and I'm eager to see if you've gotten any better at this over the time. Uh as much talking as I do on a day-to-day basis, I don't think I can get any worse. So. All right. Well, you are versed in the ways of the podcast. You've got two questions before we get to the main event. Are you ready, Captain Tim? Absolutely. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a redfish? Because I've spent probably more time not catching them than I have been catching them in my life. So, you know, if somebody's tried it all, seen it all you know still learning but you know let me attempt to shorten the learning curve for everyone so that you can spend more time catching fish than not catching fish fair enough man fair enough now for your second question as tradition goes a non-fishing related question um when i think of when i think of tim desano now i think of the color purple and when i think of the color purple i think of the song purple rain by prince and so i'm wondering captain tim desano can you name me one other song by Prince other than Purple Rain? Mm, showing my age a little bit here, I reckon. Um, I'm not off the top of my head. No, I can't. Little Red Corvette, When Doves Cry, Party Like It's 1999. You don't know it until you hear it, and you still don't know the name, but you know you've heard it before. When Doves Cry would be... That would be the other one that I know, like off the top of my head for sure. Well, all right. Well, let's talk fishing. Let's talk wintertime redfish in the skinny water. I think you said we're going to start with when and where. And so I'm eager to hear about this, man. I think this is an exciting fishery that more people should get into. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of us, as the water has cooled down, you know, now into November, December, January, trout fishing is is kind of what's on most people's mind. Um, a, a lot of times redfish become a bycatch in the wintertime. Uh, there's a lot of days where, you know, depending on the tide, you know, in your particular area, a higher portion of the tide might be better for the trout. So instead of just not going fishing, you know, learning some of the little, little key things that, that I've learned, you know, and, you know, have kind of picked up from things along the way about how to catch a redfish, 
later in the year, it kind of helps you put a whole day together. So, you know, if the tide is low, you know, in the afternoon, you might've caught some trout in the morning instead of putting it back on the trailer, you know, going red fishing in the wintertime can be a ton of fun. It's a lot of, oftentimes a little bit more work to make it happen, but yeah, it definitely, it's definitely possible. Um, be, the water being colder is, is really the key to, to everything. So not only does it change the way the fish are moving, it changes, you know, how we move and where we should be during, during what time, uh, in, in order for the fish to even really want to be active, they're trying to find some kind of, you know, temperature break where it's a little bit warmer. If it's in the middle of the day, the fish are typically going to be shallower, you know, low tide, less water heats up quicker and that kind of thing. Um, you know, we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the deeper sections, you know, off of these shallow areas. And when I say deeper, I mean, it could be, you might be in a, in a portion of a Creek that is 10 to 12 inches deep. And then on one particular side of it, there's a small little trough that's, you know, four or five feet deep, if even that deep, you know, sometimes two or three, but just a, a foot or two deeper, will often, you know, be the spot where those fish, if they're not out really shallow in the warmer parts of the day, they don't typically travel very far. Um, the good thing about this, this type of fishing and this fishery for us through the colder months is that once you kind of find fish, as long as you don't, you know, beat on them every day, do anything that's really going to cause them to, to need to move where they are, they're pretty easy to pattern. Um, you know, for us, there's a lot of times where we spend a lot of time in the early part of the winter looking for them. And then once we found them, we know, okay, this is where we can be on this particular tide and, you know, don't mess with them before, don't mess with them after, but you know, it, it helps us. Okay. Th this is a portion, this is an area that we need to be during this portion of the tide. And then we kind of hunt for where else we can be. So that way, instead of us putting all of our eggs in one basket and saying, this has got to work or we're not going to catch them, you know, it, it allows us to kind of be able to bounce around spot to spot. And that, that helps most people, including myself nowadays, that because of the boat, the kind of boat that you have, you're limited by where you can be and when you can be there. So we can touch on that a little bit later as well. But, you know, just figuring out where you, you know, where you need to be for where the fish are going to be and where they're going to feed. You know, the frustrating part about this time of year is that sometimes you'll be in water shallow enough, you know, you can see them clear as day. And you can throw a million different things to them, you know, anything, any artificial bait you have, a mud minnow on a jig head, and if they're not feeding, you can't get them to eat. So that, that does get frustrating, but finding, you know, the time of day that they're going to be the most active definitely, you know, will make it a little bit more enjoyable for you. So, man, when we're talking about colder water, uh, you know, to put something of a temperature to it, what is it that you imagine we're talking about? Yeah, so we start to see a lot of the fish you know, either hold really, really deep or push really, really shallow. Once we, once we're kind of approaching that 63 degree and, and less, um, you know, for us, what we would, what I would consider, you know, cold water in our areas, typically mid to upper fifties, you know, it does get colder than that, you know, and, and days in the afternoon, if we have, you know, some of these days, January, February, where it'll get into the upper sixties or sometimes 70 degree range, it will warm that water up, but, you know, mainly I'm talking anywhere from mid fifties to the, just barely into the sixties. Um, any warmer than that, you're going to see more or less your late fall, early springtime pattern, um, where fish are out in the open a little bit more. They're cruising around a little bit more actively moving. 
um, that, that cooler water, that, that 50 degree, you know, mid 50 range really kind of gets them hunkered down, um, in my experience. So whenever we start to see water temperatures that are just barely touching 60 at some point during the day, or never making that out of the fifties, we kind of have a plan in our head of, okay, you know, we have to find, we're not going to, we're not going to really be able to just kind of bounce around and pick off a fish or two here or there. We're probably only going to catch fish where all of the fish are. Um, for that particular school, whether it be trout or redfish. So, but especially the redfish, you know, like I was saying, when the, when the water gets that in that temperature range, you know, look for them to kind of just sit where they want to be and, and they're not really going to move until something makes a move. So, you know, that's key for us is for as much water as we have, we, we don't really have that much. We, you know, when you, when you put it in terms of, you know, of other areas. So, that's kind of on us to, to know, okay, yes, this works. We can sit here and we can catch, you know, 25, 30, 40 of these in a row. And some days, I mean, that might be what the day calls for, but, you know, kind of take it upon yourself to, if you, if you know that you're going to have the opportunity to come out and do this again, um, especially anytime, you know, in the, in the coming days or weeks, you know, if you catch, you know, five, six, seven fish, great. You know, those fish are there move on and see if you can't find a, you know, find them somewhere else. So that's just trying to a little bit of self-preservation in, in our business where we hope that they're going to be there for the next group that comes with us. Um, you know, but yeah, definitely that, that temperature range will get them kind of, kind of sitting still for us. And so I guess I came into this podcast when we're talking about skinny water for redfish thinking creeks, like we're talking in the backs of creeks, but, I mean, I'm not sure. Is that what we're talking about? Is that what we're talking about primarily? Yeah. But there's other environments like, and I know it Absolutely. might be a little di different, but what are you talking about when you're talking about skinny water, I guess, in Oceanal area? Yeah. So for us, you know, we're, we don't have, we don't have the grass flats and the big, you know, ex expansive of flat, you know, type areas where the, the fish are going to be able to pull up on and kind of roam around, you know, for us, most of the time we're in creeks that aren't hardly as wide as, as the boat that we're running. So, you know, we, we do have more open areas like that, but they're typically much deeper. So that's more of a springtime, you know, fall springtime kind of thing for us, where we see a lot of trout and redfish pull onto these deeper sections of banks and, um, you know, areas between sandbars and that kind of thing. But as a general rule that they're, they're much deeper, they only really get to be about three, four feet at, at low tide. So, we're pushing far, far back into not, you know, we're going back into the creeks that we fish, but then we're also turning into the smaller feeder creeks that, that push all the way back. Um, you know, we're way, way further back than we would be fishing any other time of year. Uh, the water would just be too warm. So, you know, especially in the wintertime, you know, we're, we're really having to work to even get to where we want to fish. So that's, going back to my point of kind of not ruining the spot, you know, if you do put in the work and the time and you, and you kind of push your way back into some of these areas and you find a group of fish that's willing to do what you want them to do, you know, kind of preserving that and, you know, both, you know, kind of keeping it to yourself or your close friends or, you know, or someone that you're taking fishing, um, you know, as well as not just catching a hundred in a day and then wondering why they're not biting the next day. But we're, you know, typically, most of these creeks that we're fishing are anywhere between two and a half, two and a half feet deep at the deepest, um, you know, for when we're going to want to be back there. 
once the tide gets up for us, most of the time past mid, you know, right at mid tide, there's so much water in there that the fish have, have not, they're not going to eat anymore. You know, we, we find that they're the most active with the least amount of water. They're able to pull up onto these little shallow areas on the outskirts of these holes that we're fishing and, you know, and, and warm themselves up with the sun, hunt for whatever possible bait fish could be left that time of year. And then, the, you know, once that tide gets up just a little bit more, you know, it's sometime, I mean, it's like a light switch. You know, you could be back there fishing them and the tide is rising and you're catching one every other cast. And then all of a sudden the tide gets up just enough and you know, those fish are still there. Half the time you can even still see them pushing around and they just won't eat. So yeah, it's definitely, you know, we're looking three foot is kind of our, our cutoff. You know, most, most of us are, are running bay boats, you know, or even, you know, or skiff, skiff style boats, not even a polling skiff per se, more Carolina skiff and that kind of stuff. You know, your, your general weekend angler is, is going to be fishing in a boat inshore, you know, and that can float comfortably somewhat in 12 to 15 inches of water. Um, most people see two foot pop up on their depth finder and immediately throw it in reverse and turn around. But, you know, definitely take it slow, you know, utilize your trolling motor and you'd be surprised, you know, how even just a little bit of weight distribution, you know, we that time of year we're throwing nothing but artificial baits typically if we do have live bait it's a mud minnow and we can throw you know a half a dozen to a dozen of those in a bucket with hardly any water and they'll stay alive so you know if we know that that's something that we're going to be doing over the course of the day and we're going to be you know specifically shallow water fishing even in my 24 foot bay boat you know we'll run with maybe 10 15 gallons of fuel and you know, no water in the live wells and we can comfortably use the trolling motor and work our way back into these areas that are two foot or less, you know, until we eventually just run out of water. But, you know, when I did have, you know, I, I'm coming out of a, I did have a Maverick flats boat um, and definitely makes it easier, but a lot of the areas and, and what I've learned using that boat, we've been able to transition into the bigger boat, you know, get an extra person on board and, definitely open it up and show more people how cool it is to fish that time of year. So I got a follow-up question. I mean, I'm following everything you're saying, but uh, one way I like to phrase it is like, cause I, th I think the where is big. I mean, you know, without, you know, pulling up a map and pointing the spot. So if I were to pluck you out of ocean Isle and put you in some other environment, like say up North Wrightsville beach or in between Wrightsville beach and Topsail and say, all right, let's go into this Creek. Tell me what you're looking for when we go into that creek beyond just pushing further and further back. Like, what are the features of this creek when we get into the right depth water that would most get you excited to to explore? Absolutely. So, you know, the the general answer to that, you know, as everybody would be an oyster bed. Yeah, everybody knows that, you know, fish are going to hold tight to structure. Redfish love oysters. You know, that's one of the first things that we're going to see, luckily, in our area it's you really can't look at a, a stretch of marsh bank for more than five ten feet and not see a big patch of oysters but one thing that we really like you know something uh i would say just you know like you're going to see a lot of oysters but a big patch you know whether it's a big you know oyster bar or just a a big patch of broken bank where you know there's there's oysters you know or you know rocks or a big depression in the grass something that is would be kind of what to key in on um almost like if you were out near shore and you and you come across the the number that you put in your gps and here's the reef but then also as you kind of troll around it you'll see all of the little 
broken up pieces of structure and, and pieces that aren't as defined, you know, the same, the same tactic applies inshore. You know, when we come far back into this Creek and it makes a turn and I see a big oyster bank on one side, but then I also see off a little bit further one way, you know, where you read the water, you can see that the tide kind of bounces from one side to the other. You look at the other side and it looks like it might be a hair deeper. There might be, the water might be moving a little quicker. Um, and there's also some broken structure on that side. That's something that I would key in on. So a lot of times we're looking to fish in our area, especially we're looking to fish the slightly deeper area of the shallowest Creek that you can possibly be in. So the area, some, there's some spots that we fish where we can't to even take the boat any further than where we are, but where we're casting to, it could be, you know, a foot and a half, two feet deeper. Um, we might set ourselves up right next to this oyster bed on a, on a fallen tide and the water's coming at us and we're able to cast into the deeper section. And by deeper, I, you know, like I'm saying, you know, the boat might be sitting on the mud and we're casting into a foot and a half, two foot of water. And a lot of times that little bit of, little bit more depth, you know, helps the redfish feel a little bit more secure. Their backs aren't totally out of the water. You know, they're, they're safer from birds and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, they still have access to the structure where the bait, you know, and everything else is going to congregate, but they feel a little safer, you know, staging a little further off. So definitely multiple, multiple pieces of structure. And, you know, there's still just like anything else, a little bit of current goes a long way. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky in the sense where we are that our water is just dirtier, even in the wintertime, you know, when the water's sub foot you can still you can see obviously but you know once it gets a foot and a half two feet deep we still can't see the bottom so you know the, the benefit that y'all have a little bit north of us is that you're able to see five six ten feet down to the bottom in some spots that definitely means that you know those fish can see you as well so sometimes we get away with a little bit more in our area than we probably could other places and we know that just from you know when i've been fishing in places with much cleaner water you know you you get reminded quickly how easy it is to spook these fish when you're in really, really shallow. Um, another thing that doesn't really get talked about as much are sandbars. There might not be an oyster, there might not be an oyster bed in the creek, you know, that you've seen period, but you see that there's a big bar that runs all the way across. Most of the time, you know, as the water cuts to one side, it's going to make a little trough. Those fish are either going to sit there or at least pass through it. So, you know, it's not always hard, you know, physical structure that you can see, but just the topography of the bottom that can make, you know, fish choose one side of a creek or another. So definitely work your way slowly more times than, than not. You know, I might've caught a fish way back in this creek around an oyster bed. And then, you know, I, I'm on the trolling motor, you know, or I'm, you know, very slowly kind of putting through a creek, blow right over top of a sandbar and you spook a school of 50 fish. And if you would have taken the time to slow down, you know, you could say like, okay, wow, you know, here's how those fish were holding here. Instead, the only thing you did was just blow them out. And if they ran back further into the creek, they probably spooked the next school that was back there as well. So this is definitely a, you know, a hurry up and wait kind of fishing. Um, you know, slow yourself down, you know, definitely try to cover some ground, but you're not doing yourself any favors if you're, you know, spooking everything along the way. So. Well, th this is, uh, those are my main questions that came to mind. So this is me saying any final thoughts on when and where, if so great, if not, then we'll move on to bait selection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than just, 
you know, exploration. Um, you know, Google Maps is your friend. You know, a lot of the structure that I'm talking about, you know, you can kind of clearly see now on, on the satellite maps. So, you know, it, it's still no replacement for getting out and seeing what it is because there's a lot of times where I look at something on Google and then I, you get there and you're like, oh, okay, well, that looks really good on, you know, on camera, but I, you can't get there or, you know, something's changed a section of the bank has eroded across and now you can't get through there until the tide's higher or, or what. So I would say, you know, as much information as you can gather beforehand is, is of course helpful, but get out there, you know, take a, take an afternoon in the winter time. We're lucky here, you know, in the Carolinas, most of the time we're not really dealing with a frigid cold winter. So, you know, wait until you find a low tide, you know, portion of the day, you know, more towards lunchtime, get out, spend a couple hours, you know, see what you can see. And, and a lot of times, you know, the days where you might just kind of be out messing around, you know, just maybe you've looked at a creek a hundred times as you've driven past it and never even thought to venture into it, you know, might be, you know, your own little secret spot for the, for the cooler months. So. All right. Good tip. Now tell me what we're going to throw at them. Yep. So we're, we're talking November, December, yeah. we're trout fishing, that kind of thing, you know, no, all that kind of goes out the window for me when we're, when we're pushing far back up into this shallow stuff here. Um, the one thing that I've, I've learned more than anything else is not only the profile of the bait, but you know, and how we're working it. So we always talk about working the baits slower in cooler water we're wanting to absolutely crawl these baits across the bottom. And so in order for you know us to get the most out of the bait that we're throwing, I like throwing baits that I don't have to swim, you know, to give them the best action. Uh, I don't throw a ton of paddle tails this time of year, um, something that you're going to have to kind of swim it to, to kind of get the desired action from it. We throw a lot of artificial shrimp, um, voodoo shrimp, DOA shrimp work fantastic. Um, something else, you know, I throw a lot of the original trout tricks, um, the more stick worm style bait, something that's just going to be able to, you know, move a little slower, still act erratically, but we don't have to physically swim it back to us. Um, you know, a lot of that comes into play with the style of jig head that we're using as well. Um, for instance, the trout eye jigs, you know, are fantastic. My preferred jig to throw for everything other than this situation you know, they're designed, they're, they're slimmer in the front. They're designed to swim through the water very effectively. Um, this time of year, we're wanting to more or less hop the bait across the bottom, keep it very tight to the bottom and move it very slowly. Um, the more forward weighted jig heads, uh, like a blue water candy jig for, per se, um, most of the weight is going to be forward. It's going to leave the hook point exposed up at all times. And we're able to kind of slowly bounce it back across the creek to us. And, you know, a lot of times the, I use Z-Man baits primarily, um, the material half the time, if it's water's clean enough and it's shallow enough that we're able to see it, just having the bait sitting, you know, just a little bit of current, you know, is, is enough to, to give that bait some action. But, you know, I typically use smaller baits and baits that we can work very slowly and that we don't have to, to swim back to us. Most of the retrieve on our modern spinning reels is about 20 inches. So if you figure, even if you're reeling slowly, you're still moving that bait almost two feet at a time. So, you know, we're, we're hardly reeling at all. You know, we're kind of just picking it up and setting it back down, you know, with the rod tip, 
you know, definitely very, very light tackle situation, which adds to the fun when you do find a school of bigger redfish. Um, you know, one thing that I started doing last year was I'll actually, some days I'll take the original trout trick and start cutting sections of it off and make the bait shorter. Um, something that we can just even really keep, you know, that much closer to the bottom, that much just bouncing around and more often than not, you know, if you do find a school of fish, something that you throw to them, as long as it doesn't move too fast and spook them, it'll be the first thing that's looked like food that they've seen that day. And they'll kind of jump all over it. So um, color, I haven't found to be super, super important, you know, kind of follow with your, with your watercolor, you know, we throw darker colored baits and darker color water, um, you know, more of a shadow kind of effect that we're, that we're going for there. Um, you know, if they don't bite, switch to white, you know, all of the, you know, it's more or less just what you're confident in as long as it's not too big. And as long as it's not moving too fast, um, you know, and, and the fish are there, you know, you're typically going to have halfway decent success. Um, but if you, if I was to say one, if you had two rods to bring with you with two baits tied on, I would say a, an original trout trick in your favorite color, um, and a voodoo shrimp, the smaller one, um, yeah, no, no sense in throwing the great big one. The smaller ones, yeah, will do just fine. And then most of that action you're saying is just bouncing on the bottom and barely even bouncing, barely even moving, but, but off the bottom. And that's why for the fronted weight, front weight jig head. Yeah, ab absolutely. So we're, we're realistically just wanting to just kind of skip it across the bottom back to us. Um, you know, and, one thing that I tell the anglers that are on my boat, I say, imagine that we're working the bait in a swimming pool and you're able to see, you know, if you were watching it, you were able to see every little bit of motion that you give it on with the rod or the reel, you were able to see what it did to the bait. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, some people might not, that might not make sense to them, but a lot of, a lot of people have said that that's really helped and it helped me, you know, to know that you don't need to move a seven foot rod all the way back to you to give that bait any action. You know, it's, it's going to be very responsive. You know, sometimes just the smallest twitches you know, is all it takes to get those fish fired up. It's not, not as much like, you know, say we were trout fishing in deeper water. We're wanting to twitch two, three times, pick it back up and then let the bait fall back down to them here. We're wanting to just keep the bait very close to the bottom, move it very slowly. And you know, that's where the forward jig head forward weighted jig head helps, helps me. You know, it, it leaves the hook point exposed at all times. I know that even if the, even if I stop working the bait for just a second, you know, it, if that is when the fish decides to strike, we still have a great chance at, at hooking the fish. So it, a little bit less work on our part, you know, it, and it helps, it helps kind of keep the bait looking the way we want it to. So little movement and slow movement, and these fish are mostly holding at this time of year. So. I guess that puts even more pressure on being in the right spot because these fish aren't going to be moving around and you're not going to be covering a lot of water with your presentation. So it's that much more imperative to be at least somewhat in the right zone, if not totally in the right zone. Is, is that good logic? Uh, absolutely. Um, if you were fishing, you know, we're not fishing. These aren't big bodies of water. Um, like I said, you know, these creeks might be, you know, 10, 12 feet wide, you know, and, and it's different in every area. You know, if, if you are fishing a, a more, you know, a, a flat per se, or a, or a small Creek coming off of a flat, these shallow areas are not, are not big open bays. 
So it's not a, you know, a, a chunk and wind kind of scenario where we're covering a lot of ground with the boat or the rod. If you're fishing a small turn in a creek that might have some structure and you've made five, 10, 15 casts, you know, and work the bait slowly and, and done everything that you need to do and you haven't gotten bit and you haven't seen any kind of commotion, you haven't seen, you know, maybe any, any fish push around you. You haven't heard, you know, sometimes you'll hear them kind of come up and break the surface of the water. If you haven't heard or seen or caught anything, you know, go ahead and keep either, either turn around and start working your way back out or push further back. Um, there's been a lot of days where I've had clients standing on the bow of the boat and we are, and they are ready and waiting. And we have pushed around and made a couple casts and I've told them, I said, all right, well, you know, take a step back down for me. We're going to keep moving. And, you know, you kind of start snaking your way on through. And then all of a sudden you see one little flash, you know, maybe off to the side and then the whole creek erupts and, you know, the, the whole school will be there. So this is as for as slow as you want to make your way through an area and as slow as you want to fish it, don't be afraid to, to keep moving because, it's not going to be a, a type scenario where if you sit in one spot long enough, these fish are just going to appear, you know, we, we definitely have to find them. So, you know, definitely cover some ground, but you know, when you get there, do it slowly. If that makes, that makes any sense. Yeah, man. So I got a couple of follow-up questions. Do you find sure. that if we're throwing a soft plastic shrimp or we're throwing an original trout trick, do you like adding any scent to those in the winter time or it's really just about the site. And then the second question you've already mentioned would be the old mud minnow on a jig head. Like how is that any different than the soft plastic shrimp or the original trout trick? Yeah. So as far as scent goes, you know, I'm, I'm not a big gulp guy. Um, I just never, never particularly have been, but I know a lot of people that, you know, would swear by gulp in a situation like this. Redfish definitely are, you know, scent oriented, there are some days where, you know, we'll, we'll have a, you know, a bottle of Procure sitting in a, in a cup holder somewhere and we'll put some on. And I don't particularly think that it, it helps us much, if at all. Um, you know, I know I've seen people, you know, have it on a holster on their hip and they make five casts and then smear more of that stuff on there. And when you start putting that much on there, all you're really doing is affecting the way the bait moves and how it looks. So I would say it never hurts, but if you don't have it, don't feel like you're at a disadvantage. Um, you know, it's definitely this fishing that shallow. It's definitely more about the presentation. Um, you know, even in the deeper holes that we're fishing where it is, you know, three, four feet off of a very shallow section, if that bait moves, you know, within a few feet of a, of a redfish that is want that wants it, he's going to get it. He's not going to worry about smelling it first. Um, I don't, particularly think that having a scented bait is going to draw fish in from further away in the creek. I think these fish are basically sitting, you know, still until there's something that re is remotely close enough for them to make a strike and eat the cooler water. They're not wanting to expend as much energy. Um, what was the second question after the scent? Man, any advice if we want to go the jig head mud minnow technique? Oh yeah. So that it's it's funny there's some days where it, it seems like you know you can't you can't buy a bite on any kind of plastic and and you throw a mud minnow in there and and us, we're working it the same way you know i'm still throwing it on a more forward weighted jig head i'm still just very slowly bouncing it across the bottom and you know there's some days where that just seems to seems to be the ticket and there's also been days where you know we can't 
where, you know, we kind of put all of our eggs in the mud minnow basket where we say, okay, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is going to work. We don't get bit on the mud minnows and then we turn around and we, and we try to catch them on the artificials and they don't bite that either. So I, I would say if maybe possibly if you yourself, or if some of the people that you have with you are not as accurate of a caster say, or as comfortable working some of these artificial baits, it's a great way that if the fish are there, it, you know, it's just about guaranteed. But again, with this, it's definitely more, more about finding, finding the fish first before we worry about what we're throwing at them or, or how we're, or how we're doing it. Um, but the mud minnows, don't be afraid to let the mud minnows sit for a little bit longer. Um, you know, if, if say we're power pulled down or anchored somehow and we're fishing out the front of the boat, if you do have a couple mud minnows on the boat, you know, maybe a very, very light Carolina rig or just right on a jig, you know, pitch it out. If there's some structure behind the boat that you might've passed that you cast it at before that you never got bit. Um, you know, don't be afraid to call, cast that thing out behind the boat, dead stick it and, and sit it in the rod holder while you're focusing on something up front. Um, yeah, there's a lot of times where those little, little mud minnows can definitely, uh, be worth their weight in gold. And, you know, in the winter time, you can keep them alive for forever in a bucket in your garage if you wanted to. And, you know, it's sometimes just, a that extra, extra confidence boost. If you're going to spend all day out there to know that you have something that's going to be able to wiggle for you. Well, man, uh, let's go on. I like this third topic that you sent over. Um, options when you don't have a quote unquote skinny water boat. And I think you've already touched on some of them, but let's just circle back around and tell people because, you know, I'm sure there's more people watching, listening to this podcast that don't have that shallow water skiff, but still are thinking, man, I definitely need to try this. Yeah. So, you know, and, and my, I, I was guilty of it myself. Um, you know, have always had, you know, Carolina skiff style boats when I was younger. Um, you know, had 22 and 24 foot bay boats i in our area because this is not something that is so widely done you know we're not i know up your way the topsail topsail area you know wrightsville beach there's a lot more year-round shallow water opportunity than just the winter time and you see a lot more people you know kind of going that route um you know i i went and bought myself the you know what i thought was going to be the the end all be all tool that was going to get me back to where I needed to be to find all these secret fish. And while it, it did give me the confidence to explore and, and really kind of push through some of these areas, when I stopped and looked, there wasn't really too many situations where I was finding myself in a spot where I wouldn't have been able to do that in another style of boat. So, you know, trying to take advantage of the, the crazy boat market over the last year and a half, two years, you know, when I sold my little boat and, and upgraded our, you know, our regular boat, you know, to a 24 foot bay boat, that was something that was kind of weighing in the back of my mind was, you know, man, I really hope I haven't kind of cut this style of fishing, you know, out of our arsenal. But, you know, I was amazed at how, you know, just a just a small little bit of effort one way or another, like I said, you know, perhaps maybe running a little bit lighter on fuel or, you know, not bringing enough gear to outfit, you know, a whole tackle shop or, you know, just little things like that can really help. Um, you know, the big. All right, Tim, I think we're here towards the end of the podcast. I mean, a lot of good information, but I always like to end with just sort of uh, final thoughts, like final pieces of advice, like the final Tim DeSano setup for the person who's heard this and said, you know what, man, I do want to get on the water. 
I do want to try this. I complain about all the traffic and the poor fish in the summertime. Let's see if this plays out. So set us up. Give us our final advice to set us on our way to success. Yeah, I mean, you know, absolutely. I am one of those people sometimes that, you know, is eager for the traffic to thin out in the wintertime. So, you know, throw on a, a little bit heavier jacket than you would normally, you know, something that you don't mind getting dirty if you do have to hop out and push the boat a little bit. Um, you know, don't be afraid to use your trolling motor. Don't be afraid to, to have that boat bounce off a sandbar or two and, you know, work your way back into some of these areas where these fish are, you know, look for, look for shallower sections, you know, where these fish might pull out in the middle of the day in the sun. Also look for the little deeper depressions off of those areas. You know, it, this is exploration is, is the best advice that I could, I could give to someone wanting to go fish shallow water in the, in the wintertime. Um, you know, if you, when you do find an area that you think looks fishy, make sure you're working the bait slowly. You know, it's not moving too fast. It's not too big. You know, it's, it's a supernatural presentation and, you know, and don't let someone tell you that just because you have a, a bigger bay boat that you can't fish shallow. Um, you know, it's really the only thing stopping you is you, you can't catch them on the couch. So instead of waiting on springtime to come back around, you know, fish all year and, you know, really kind of take advantage of something that unfortunately it seems that most people overlook. Captain Tim DeSano of Tideline Charters out of Ocean Isle Beach. Thank you very much. Um, always enjoy talking fishing with you, really talking about anything with you. And I will put out another reminder to everyone that if you are seeking information and you love to learn, then there is no better way to learn than on the boat with these captains that we feature in our podcast. So I encourage you to pick up the phone and go online and look into booking a trip with Tim DeSano, Tideline Charters. And thank you again, man. Yeah, for having us, guys. Um, you know, always fun to talk fishing, definitely fun to go fishing. So if anybody is down this way, um, we'd love to get you guys out there this winter. Uh, I know there's there are quite a few people that do it up and down the coast. So whether it's with me or anyone else, you know, get out there, let somebody show you, you know, how to catch these fish in shallow water. And, you know, Billy, Gary, thanks again for having me and uh, look forward to hopefully doing another one sometime. Yeah, man, definitely. Definitely, Tim. Billy. Are you there, Billy uh, Thorpe? What is going on, Gary? Good episode, man. A couple little technical glitches, but hey, a lot of good information. Tim left it all out on the table. So hopefully, uh, if you're listening or watching the show, that you took a lot away. Because, man, he was just like a wealth of information. It's wild. It's crazy. But I guess that's what happened. So what would be your Billy's best takeaway? Um, I always like a little funny thing. So if they don't buy it, switch to white. Like I always I thought that was funny. I thought it was sticky. Uh, but, man, you know, it, you guys kind of tagged on to this at the end. It seems like it's a little, I mean, it doesn't seem by this conversation it's doable, but it's a little bit tricky. So it's like, it sounds like a ton of work. I'm like, I don't want to go try to do all that. Like, just hire somebody <laughs> and go. Let, the, let somebody like Tim who's been on the water every day, you know, for the, for the month of, you know, November, d December, January, all those places. Like, let them take you fishing and just put you on fish or, or have better odds. So, uh, you guys kind of touched on it because I was sitting here thinking, like, "Yeah, man, this is, seems seems like a lot of work." I'll just uh, I'll just pull Gary Hurley and get on someone else's boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, there's, it's certainly noble to figure it out yourself, but I see nothing against like, again, I mean, if yeah. you're watching this, listening to this, and you're seeking information, the boat with these captains is the 
classroom environment where you will learn more than anywhere else. Like, yeah, you know, not trying to push people away from the podcast, but just, you know, we do the same thing when we're talking about the Fisherman's Post fishing schools. If you're going to go to the school, if you're seeking it out, it's really not that much of a jump to hop on a boat, book these guys, hop on a boat, and then what a classroom you're in. Yeah. And speaking of fishing schools gear, you got some coming up pretty soon, man. How do people register? How they how they get it going? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to plug the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Schools. We're coming back this year like we were pre-COVID. So we're doing the in-person schools. We're back at Moorhead Crystal Coast Civic Center February 12th. And we're in Moore in Wilmington. We're at CFCC's Union Station, fifth floor. February 26th, all day schools in person, 20 captains, breakout sessions, main seminars. And if you just can't be there on that day, this year we are offering the video access option on the main seminars and everything is on fishermanspost.com. Awesome, man. It sounds fun. I hate I'm going to miss it. I won't be in town the those uh, dates, but I will definitely... Uh, I'll give you a discount on video access. I'll, I'll give you a, a discount code. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Appreciate it so much. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening, for watching. Be sure to rate, review, follow, subscribe, all those fun things on whatever platform you're joining us on. And go support our sponsors, Marine Warehouse Center, Bland Landscaping Co. Once again, Bland Landscaping is looking for people to join their team. So go to blandlandscaping.com and slash careers and you will see all the information there. Gary, it's been great, man. Thanks once again for uh, hosting another great show, man. You're crushing it. I'm not crushing I mean, I just listened to Tim talk, man, but thank you for the kind <laughs> words, man. See you at the next podcast. Absolutely. Talk to you, talk to you later. Fisherman's Post.